Hello, friends, and welcome to Into the Word, a radio and online program committed to reading, loving, and living the whole counsel of God. Lord willing, our intention is to go verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the entire Bible. Here to continue that journey is our Bible teacher at Into the Word, Pastor Paul Carter. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. Hope you have your Bible open in front of you today to Job chapter 8. In chapter 4, we heard from Eliphaz. He went first, likely because he was the oldest and perhaps because he was the wisest. Now, here in chapter 8, we hear from Bildad, and he is nowhere near as kind or as refined in his arguments. Bildad is a blowhard. He has zero capacity for nuance. He's a black or white kind of guy, and he has the bedside manner of an angry hippopotamus. He definitely should not be involved in pastoral care. And yet here he is offering cold comfort to our dear friend, Brother Job. This is a good example of what not to do and what not to say when you come face to face with people who are suffering. Hear now the word of the Lord, beginning at verse 1. Then Bildad the Shuhite answered and said, How long will you say these things, and the words of your mouth be a great wind? Bildad here charges Job with bluster. He's saying loud things, many loud things, but he isn't making a great deal of sense. Well, we've acknowledged that already several times, but that doesn't make it a kind or compassionate thing to say. Part of what the book is teaching us here is that hurting people should be allowed a little bit of bluster. They should be permitted to shout and scream into the wind. Our job isn't to pull those words down and place them under a microscope. Our job is to let them pass, let them blow away like the wind that they are as an act of mercy and compassion. Wounded animals do not generally utter coherent theology. Therefore, we extend grace. That's the teaching point. But obviously, Bildad did not get the memo because he just keeps going. In verse 3, he says, Does God pervert justice? Or does the Almighty pervert the right? If your children have sinned against him, he has delivered them into the hand of their transgression. If you will seek God and plead with the Almighty for mercy, if you are pure and upright, surely then he will rouse himself for you and restore your rightful habitation. And though your beginning was small, your latter days will be very great. Wow. I'm not sure what else to say here. Bildad is basically saying that because God is just and because the universe is moral, then it is a very simple thing to reason backwards. Job's children died in a horrific disaster. Therefore, Job's children must have sinned. The appropriate response, he says, to this situation is brutally obvious. Job must repent lest he share the same fate. If he repents, the perfectly just God who presides over a perfectly just universe will restore Job's perfectly marvelous life. That is the wisdom of Bildad. 
Now, perhaps realizing the weakness of his argument, Bildad now buttresses his position with an appeal to the tradition of the elders. Verse 8, For inquire, please, of bygone ages, and consider what the fathers have searched out. For we are but of yesterday and know nothing, for our days on earth are a shadow. Will they not teach you and tell you and utter words out of their understanding? Eliphaz, you will recall, appealed to his experiences and also to a charismatic revelation. Here, Bildad appeals to tradition. Consider what the fathers have searched out. One of the concerns of the book of Job is to remind us that ultimately all of these secondary sources of insight and understanding are ultimately incomplete and unreliable. No one in this story knows anything until God decides to speak. That is one of the major teaching points in this book. If God hasn't spoken, you probably don't know anything worth sharing about the matter in question. Such is the human condition in a broken and malfunctioning world. Had the friends known that, they would have offered better comfort. Bildad has nothing to say beyond mere tradition and proverbial wisdom. Nevertheless, he keeps talking. In verse 11, he says, Can papyrus grow where there is no marsh? Can reeds flourish where there is no water? While yet in flower and not cut down, they wither before any other plant. This is Bildad at his best. And that, of course, is part of the complexity of the book. Bildad is not a complete idiot. In fact, he's a gifted poet. It doesn't come through in English, but these are some of the most beautiful words in the entire book. And they're true as far as they go. Bildad says that things grow according to their root and soil. Well, who would want to argue with that? The New Testament says things like that over and over again. The Apostle Paul says, do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. 1 Corinthians 15, 33. If you plant your roots in a swamp of silliness and stupidity, then you will soon find yourself saying and doing sinful things. Context matters. And generally speaking, life proceeds out of the content of the heart. Jesus taught that sort of thing all the time. He said in Mark 7, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, Theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these things come from within and they defile a person. In Matthew 12, 34, he said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So everyone in the Bible agrees that things grow and develop according to their root and soil. Papyrus grows in the swamp. Bad character grows in the soup of silliness and stupid, and out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Check, check, and check. That is beautifully said and true as far as it goes. But of course, the problem is that it doesn't go quite far enough. Sayings like that, true as they are, wise as they are, helpful as they are, don't address many of the situations that arise in this presently fallen and hostile world. Sometimes even good company leads us astray. Sometimes 
sin grows even in a good and healthy environment. Sometimes sin comes at you from the outside too. And sometimes the swamp chooses you instead of you choosing it. Such are the complexities of the real world. But Bildad doesn't see it. In fact, he sees the opposite. He says in verse 13, Such are the paths of all who forget God. The hope of the godless shall perish. His confidence is severed, and his trust is a spider's web. He leans against his house, but it does not stand. He lays hold of it, but it does not endure. He is a lush plant before the sun, and his shoots spread over his garden. His roots entwine the stone heap. He looks upon a house of stones. If he is destroyed from his place, then it will deny him, saying, I have never seen you. Behold, this is the joy of his way, and out of the soil others will spring. Bad things always happen to bad people, Bildad says. Eventually, your sin and stupid catch up with you. That seems to be what he's saying in verse 19. It's a hard verse to translate into English. The NIV might be better here. It says, surely its life withers away, and from the soil other plants grow. That's the idea. Sinful people, if they don't repent, quickly wither away and die, and righteous people come and take their place. That's how God designed the world, Bildad says. Verse 20. Behold, God will not reject a blameless man, nor take the hand of evildoers. He will yet fill your mouth with laughter and your lips with shouting. Those who hate you will be clothed with shame, and the tent of the wicked will be no more. Good people always win. Bad people always lose. They may pull ahead for a turn or two, but God very quickly adjusts the game. So get on the side of the Lord, and you will always be victorious. He sounds like a televangelist here, doesn't he? And his grasp of the truth is about as profound. Francis Anderson says here, this is Bildad's wisdom, helpful as a general guide to life, but trite and even cruel when the friends of God are the ones with the most trouble. Proverbial wisdom and fortune cookie faith simply will not cut it in a broken and fallen world. We need more. We need better. We need Jesus. And that, too, is one of the major takeaways of this magnificent book. Thanks be to God. And thank you for listening to another episode of Into the Word. If you've appreciated the Into the Word ministry, I'd like to personally invite you to pay it forward by supporting one of our preferred mission partners. For the remainder of this year, we are highlighting the church planting ministry Mile One in St. John's, Newfoundland. Newfoundland is classified as an unreached population, with less than 2% of people identifying as evangelicals. Mile One Ministries is committed to helping healthy churches plant other Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches. Here at End of the Word, I only promote ministries that I have firsthand on-the-ground experience with. Mile One is bearing fruit and is being led and stewarded by people that I know and trust. 
If you'd like to make a contribution to this important ministry, you can do that by visiting the Into the Word website at intotheword.ca. There are giving options there under the Give tab for both Canadian and American listeners. International listeners are welcome to give as well, though their gifts may not qualify for charitable receipts in their nation. Thank you for considering this method of showing your support for the End of the Word program. And may God alone be glorified. Your word is a lamp unto my feet. 